Welcome, everybody, to the Showgirl Tip of the Day podcast, where we talk about show business, old friends, and new adventures. I'm here with Michael Cassara, who is a New York casting director. He's cast many shows and independent films. Welcome, Michael. How are you? Hi, Michelle. I'm great. I'm glad to be here today. How are you doing? I'm so well. I'm so excited for the holiday season. It's my favorite time of year. And after we get off this call, I'm going to see West Side Story. And I cannot wait to talk about that with all my friends and hopefully just really have that experience. Everyone has said it's magical. Yeah, I went Saturday night and, you know, and, and it was actually the first, well, I guess I've been to a couple screenings, but it was the first real movie theater, big movie screen, you know, experience I've had probably in at least two years, you know, with the pandemic. It's remarkable. I mean, I, I look forward to seeing, you know, I, I look forward to hearing what you think about it. But I mean, I just think that it, th- there's so much that is just just beautifully done and you know to hear people singing with an orchestra on a big screen i mean there were just really really spectacular things about it so i'm 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 very pleased to have seen it i hope that uh it continues to build up some steam i think it did really well this weekend so let's let's hope i think it's an intergenerational thing though because i know my mother loved the original movie and i think all ages are going to come see this film yeah i mean i think that's the hope and i think that you know you have i think it's probably dealing with a lot of the uh there are certain audiences who just aren't back yet or maybe won't be back um and going you know with it only being in theaters versus streaming things we've gotten comfortable with i think it probably might have done better in a pre-pandemic world but again then again movie musicals have never been exactly i mean in 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 our our lifetimes you know have never been the box office smash they once were i was I, I i always enjoyed the movie i never had a particular affinity for it i know that's sacrilege in some circles but you know i i enjoyed it but i, I just i only you know movie musicals have never really been my thing i mean there are a few that i worship i mean the umbrellas of cherbourg and love me tonight and things like that but i mean but but most of you know, West Side for me has always been a, a live production, a stage play, and you know, and uh, a live musical. And so, so seeing this, I just thought they got so much right with it. So it was really, really wonderful. So I'm glad you get to see it. Thank you. So I have a lot of people on this podcast who listen because they are not in show business and they love to learn all the goings on. And one of my good friends said, "I never realized there were so many moving parts and components." When you go see a show, you see the finished product. You're a casting director. So can you explain to the audience what your job entails? And also, what made, what drew you to this career? Sure. So, you know, it is a, it's a great question because there's, I think there are a lot of misconceptions about kind of how it all works and, and all of that. And so happy to speak about it a little bit. I work as the liaison between a creative team and the rest of the world. So... I don't represent anyone. I'm not an agent, right? There's really, sometimes we hear the, the, you know, the old phrase casting agent, you know, and and it's important to note that there's really no such thing as a casting agent. You, You have casting, you have talent agents and managers, people who represent actors, and that's one job. Then you have casting directors, which is what I do, or casting associates, casting assistants, casting offices, casting people, right? And our job is to represent the creative team as they try to 
satisfy the needs of their project. So a director or a producer or a writer, they'll they'll hire us to basically our our job is in some ways to know everyone we have to know where to find all the best people and then in other ways there's a, you know there's an artistic element which is helping to see that director's vision i mean talk about a show like west side story which i've cast many times for many different places and directors but there are performers i may have brought in for one production who i wouldn't bring in for a different production because of what the creative team has stressed in terms of what they're seeking or what energies they want certain characters to to have so it's kind of translating just all of the information in in, in the world into an actual product and then there's also a i hate the word but a clerical element where it's just you have to be highly organized you have to schedule auditions and deal with a lot of different realities i mean for example we're never just casting the best people for a project we're casting the best people who are available for the project who are interested in the project etc so it's taking into consideration lots and lots of moving pieces and we work very closely with agents and managers and the people representing actors just as we work closely with actors who are unrepresented and and everyone in between right so so our job is to populate the 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 shows that you see the movies that you see the tv shows you know our our job in the casting as a casting director i'm there to make sure that the right people have been found for that project so that's that's i think the hopefully the two minute summary there but no i love that it was so informative and clear here's a question for me i'm always thinking business who pays you who hires you to do this work uh, the producers. So okay. if it's a if it's a theater company, that's the theater company. If it's a a commercial project, you know, a Broadway show or something like that, it's it's you, you know we're hired by the by production. So I think it also helps to clarify because. I've had very seasoned people over the years kind of come to me and say, well, you'll get your cut. And I'm like, I don't, I don't work for a cut. I'm not an agent. You know, I mean, it's, it's, I'm no, I'm, I'm hired the same way a lighting designer is hired. I'm hired by the the productions. I mean, uh, by the producers and by the production, uh, whoever's put, you know, the funding together for that production. So if a, if a regional theater hires me to do their season, for instance, they're, they might have five different directors directing five shows, but I'm my contract is still with the theater itself. That's so important to hear that because I always wondered that. And as far as you go, you have only 24 hours in a day. So is it up to you to fill your schedule? Can you say, oh, I want you know, 10 regional theaters or do you just kind of go with the flow or do you say this is the max I can do this season? It's it's a great question and it's honestly one I've never been asked, but it's something that I spend hours juggling. Um, you know, in many ways we're freelancers or contractors the same way a performer might be. I I started young. I mean, I started, I I was, we talked, we, I know we've spoken a little bit about this recently, but, but my first job in casting, I was 21 years old and by the time I was 24, I was working for myself essentially, not because I had some grand plan, but mostly because no one would hire me and no one was hiring. It was a very different time, but there were very few jobs. I mean, there were still very few jobs, but there weren't as many ways in as there, is there, uh, well, I don't want to say that because there aren't a lot of ways in now either. So, but <laughs> the, the reason I bring that up is because 
I was, I, I needed to make a certain amount of money to keep my doors open, to have my office in Midtown to have employees when I have employees, you know, I mean, all of those things required taking a certain number of projects. So I, as the owner of a business, I'm fully responsible for every aspect of, are we overextended? Do we need more work? Are we doing the right kinds of projects? Are there things we should be aspiring towards? It's very much like a performer's career. And I, those are, you know, sometimes it was just, well, if I don't take this job, I won't be able to pay the rent. You know, I won't be able to, you know, pay my staff. Then other times it was something where I got to a point where I had taken a, you know, I had done a number of things and I got to a point where I said, look, I've done that. I don't, I don't wish to do that any longer because it's not, it's not something I believe in enough, but it's also not advancing my career or paying me something that I need. I mean, the more established I became, the more I was able to pick and choose a little bit. But so I think it's a little bit of a check-in. I mean, I know people who, you know, have, they, they win a Tony and once you win a Tony, perhaps you're not going to go work at the dinner theater again, but maybe you will for the right, you know, for the, and none of this is to, you know, to judge any tier of work. I've worked at every level, right? We, we all, you know, but, but that, you have to pick and choose what makes sense for you. So, I mean, one example of that is during the pandemic. Um, July of 2020, I gave up my office. I, I had had an office space in Midtown for 16 years at that point, and I, you know, different spaces, and I decided, I mean, it, it was decided for me. We had, no one had any revenue, you know, right? It was something where yeah. I could get by. I could, you know, I was good for, you, you know, a while, but it was like, do I want to, deplete my savings to have my name on a door or do yep. I want to pivot and adjust? And so I called my landlord in March of 2020, you know, weeks in, maybe the end of March, early April. And I, you know, it's been my landlord for years. And I said, I, I don't see this. I think we need to shift. So I don't know if that means a smaller space or he was very kind. The the, the company was very kind. They, they let us out with just our security deposit, you know, just three months rent. What's that? You know, and, uh, and I moved out of the office. So that pivot has been incredible because I, I'm still working remotely and working from home. And, and as are many of my colleagues, I mean, most of the, the biggest names in theater casting right now are all without physical spaces. And we're all figuring that out. But it's something where I say, wow, without having to have, you know, all this money going to office expenses... I can be a little pickier about certain things and I can be more dedicated to certain things. And on top of that, I get an hour and a half, two hours every day where I'm not commuting. And so, so all of these pivots, not to be long winded, but all of these pivots are, you know, kind of address exactly what you asked with your question, which is who decides what your day is. That's the aspect of being a business owner that I think many of us who are independent casting directors and who run smaller casting offices, we, we, we wrestle with mightily. Well, my my next question ties into this. I just loved your answer. It's not long-winded at all because you really answered my question about the losing that commute is so precious because I commute too. I live in upstate New York right. and the in-person, let's talk about the in-person auditions because the self-taping is now what is standard. I personally, I do miss being in the room because for me, that was always a source of excitement and purpose and drama and just to put on a fabulous outfit and heels and walk in. It was the highlight of my day. However, I get to now make tapes 
early in the morning when everyone else in my house is fast asleep. I get to really think about being calm and focused instead of that pressure of the two-minute audition. So there are pluses and minuses to this new universe. What are your takes about this new self-tape land that we live in? Yeah, I think we we have to acknowledge all of those realities, all of the pros and all of the cons, because I, I think anyone who's making large sweeping pronouncements about this is how it will always be and this is what it needs to be it isn't taking into consideration that you know in the olden days two years ago <laughs> if i if i had if i were casting a musical and i saw you know let, let's say i had an eight hour day need to give the team an hour for lunch so it's really a seven hour day let's say you know it's one of three days that we're you know we're casting a whole show right maybe 20 roles in an eight in a seven hour day i can i i don't like to see more than six people an hour i don't like to see more than five people an hour but you, you know, I want to make sure that everyone has time in the room and we're not rushing and all of that. That being said, the world always kicks in challenges. The end train isn't running. The A train isn't running. Whatever, whatever those challenges are, I've had days where my schedule was pristine. Every 10 minutes fully confirmed and accounted for. And then all of a sudden four people in a row are stuck on the same stalled train or, you know, I mean, I've had everything at Pearl Studios, Ripley Greer, all the, you know, we've had, you know, the West thirties, you know, blocked down for police activity. You know, we've, we've had all these things, no one in, no one out. Right. So in a day of auditions, we learn to do things. It's just like the airlines. I mean, we overbook to some extent, knowing that there will always be issues and hoping that there won't. So I never go to much of an extreme, but that means maybe setting up six people an hour, hoping to see five, right? You know, that it's yeah. always a little bit, you know, a little bit there because it's just never quite the utopia that we, we all wish it could be. It's still New York. Someone gets held at a commercial audition that can pay for their house and they, you know, I'm not going to make it World War Three because they're running 20 minutes late, but I need to make sure that I don't have a room full of producers and writers and directors asking me why we're not seeing anyone when they've been flown in from all over the world and that, you know, their time is very limited. So with tapes, it becomes a little bit more of a controlled environment. It becomes a little bit more of something where you can make the tape on your time and in a way that you're happy with that you feel is representative of your work, that it's not going to have the the things that creep in when you run into the wrong person in the hallway at Pearl Studios, when you when something else factors in to the work that you're doing, that you're trying to do, right? It's also something where I have to go in with a grain of salt knowing that this could be your 30th take and not representative of what you'd be doing eight times a week for better and worse, right? That we can't assume that a taped audition is what we're going to see every time, which is why we've started to bring in things into play like live callbacks when possible, live virtual callbacks when possible, just to get a sense of what's really there. Cause I could easily watch a video and think we've, you know, we've found our, our person, but then there are elements that are missing in in reality. So the reason why I think that these sweeping pronouncements are tricky when I when I hear people making them in, in all directions, I mean, people have really been had a lot to say <laughs> recently, you know, I think it's tricky just because I've done this a long time. And I've I know enough actors on a personal level where people have told me or in, in some cases even confided in me, 
I never, I never want to go back to in-person auditions. And then meanwhile, other people have said, I never want to make a self tape again. Right. That, and, and that those, those two people, those two extremities could easily factor into two of the people I would see in a typical audition day. Right. That everyone's at a different place on that spectrum. I think that we're at a place where we're going to start to hopefully have some options where we may have limited in-person initial sessions and then you know callbacks where we really need folks in the room but that taping will hopefully still be an option what's beautiful about it it's very time consuming for everyone but shows where i used to be able to see maybe six or eight people for a role i can now see 30 people for a role i can now am i spending the same amount of time that i would no i'm i'm hunting and pecking, right? I'm going and, and finding the, the people who are most aligned, but I will always, if someone tapes for a project, I will always watch that. It is, I, I, I'd feel too guilty not to, but I, um, but I also trust that I know, I know what I know when I know it in terms of being able to, that my job is to take a lot of stuff and whittle it down to a more manageable amount of stuff. So that's where I, you know, that's where I come in on, on that. I mean, I, I've found tapes very helpful. I've also found it very helpful for directors to now in a way be forced to accept tapes as a reality there were a lot of directors who in years past i would say i have the perfect person for this someone better than any of the options we'll see in person the problem is they're working at the guthrie right now or they're working at la jolla or whatever it is they're that they're so good they have another job I can't present them to you in the room, but consider this tape. And then, you know, I've had a lot of times where someone says, yeah, I just, I don't, you know, it's their growing process. I just don't, without being in a room with someone, I I don't know if I can, you know, trust them to create a role or, you know, be in the room with them for three months. And a lot of directors have kind of said, okay, I think that's a limitation. I think I can start to do this a little more candidly. Some di- I have directors who never want to go back to in person. And then I also have directors who can't wait for this to be over, you know, can't wait for everything. So, so it's a wide spectrum with no single answer. So what we're doing, you know, with my company is we're just treating each project on a case by case basis. I'm casting yeah. uh, an off-Broadway show coming up where there's a heavy dance element. And so I said, of course, let's get in the room. I don't want, you know, I don't want dancers to have to, you know, do a combination in their kitchen. And I don't want you to have to try to get a sense of someone's three-dimensional experience just by watching, you know, a videotape, right? But then I have other things. I just cast a play that was fully on tape. And then for the final callbacks, we did uh, basically Zoom, you know, a live virtual uh, audition actually using Ecocast Live. And and that was very fruitful. And all, you know, everything I've done that way so far, I've had good reports back that, you know, the same problems as always, you know, a little this, a little that, but that it wasn't based on the audition medium. So Wow, that's so helpful. I have two more questions to ask you because I know your time is really valuable and I appreciate you coming on. My first question is, how can actors get themselves known by not just you, but by all the casting directors in America. And maybe now that the world is opening with all these tapes, you can be seen by people around the world. So how can an actor extrovert their talent 
so that you get to know them and that you maybe have them on a list of your A list, B list, whatever? Well, I think I think that the global aspect of what you just mentioned is interesting because it used to be something where I mean I I'm in favor of a of a larger community, larger world, more access. You, you know, I don't think everything needs to live or die based on someone's proximity to Midtown Manhattan, right? I think that there's there are real reasons to open up the pool and that I've benefited from that. Particularly for something like a regional theater job where it doesn't matter where someone lives, it just matters that they can go to the theater in question, right? Or a tour or stuff like that. I do think we still exist in communities though, so it's something where, particularly for, for things like musicals that are trickier to cast via tape, I, I'm still dependent on the long game of knowing someone, of know of you know, how can someone be known to the casting community, well, well, we're all here to forge those professional relationships and learn who someone is over year in, year out. It's something where I think a great example of this is like the college showcase system, right? Which, which has only really come into being in the last, I mean, they've, they've existed, but in the last 20 years, it's become kind of a, the way many people tend to enter the, the world. And the reason I bring that up is that I think that so often, and I teach at schools and I work with a lot of schools in that capacity, but I think so often the, the faculties, less so, but maybe still quite a bit, are misguided in how they are, in what they are stressing. Because there's this aspect of everything leads to senior year, you get your agent, you and, and then your career is set. And that has very little to do with reality. It has very little to do with how the business works. And what I see is I see it extinguishing a lot of careers prematurely. Because in a given school, you might have 15 kids and three of them get agents and the other 12 you know it, a lot of it has to do with who was able to go that day and what the rest of their client list is and all these other things so the, the reason i mention that though is that in any group like that there will be the people who we notice right away and who might get work right away but it doesn't mean they'll be getting work in five years meanwhile they're the people who may fly under the radar, but in five years, they're a bankable star, right? They have a lot going for them. So I bring that up because when when we go to these shows, you know, so the audience at a school showcase is going to be casting people and then representatives, agents and managers. When I go, I'm looking for the long game. I'm looking for people who have the foundational skills First of all, I mean, if you're a terrific dancer at 22, you're going to be a t hopefully a better dancer at 25. And you're going to, you know, if you're a great singer and you're still growing into your energy, whatever that means, you know, but you're still finding kind of where you fit in the in the realm. That's something I'll also know. You know, I'm, I'm looking for people with the skill sets and I'm looking for people who seem to want to be there, you know, who want to do this and who so so a lot of it is knowing that there's no you know there's no kind of debutante's ball there's no like ent entry into the world right it's it's more something where i meet someone once it progresses i continue to build the relationship and sometimes it, it's happened where i've known someone for 15 years and they've auditioned for me dozens of times and it's never been the right thing and there's nothing more satisfying when the day comes where it's the right thing to both 
me and certainly to them, right? I mean, because I was a performer. I remember how that felt. I, I, I mean, I, you go in and you want the job at hand. That's what you want. But if you can just put the blinders on to the point of winning the room versus winning the the prize, the job, I think it can be beneficial because you could be wonderful and you could have a three-year period where you don't, there's there's just not a single thing that I'm casting that I could bring you in for based on your skill set, based on, you know, what I'm seeking, what my team is seeking. And I think that can be very discouraging. I've heard actors say this, you know, in a roundabout sort of way, you know, over the years, oh, he never calls me in for anything, or he's not a fan. And, I, and you know, the, the reality is there are very few people where if I had to make a list and say, you know, I, I'm... I'd hate to do it. You know, I'm not a fan or it's not for me because it's not about my taste. It is, but it's not, it's, it's more about my team's needs and their taste. So I'm there to serve that. And so there might be someone where I'm, I'm there to serve that through the lens of my own taste and experience. There, there are teams where my taste not, might not be aligned with theirs, that I might be very interested in one performer and they're all very interested in someone else. And I, I have to step back in those situations and say, okay, well, here's why I feel the way I do, but you're also very accomplished humans who have your vision and I'm here to serve that. So, you know, I'm I'm not going to dig in to, you know, protect my own interests and ego and all that. So, so it's very rarely about, I try to stay as neutral as I can to be able to serve each project on its own, on its own thing. So this is a, a, a bit of a circuitous answer to your question, which which is how do you get on someone's radar? How do you develop those relationships? And I bring all of that up because it's not a one day thing. It's not a one audition thing. It's a it's a lifelong thing. It's something where we all circle each other. I mean, you and I you know, for example, I've, I've known who you were, we've, you know, crossed paths in different ways, but, but, you know, it's that thing I always say, we're, we, we circle each other, you know, we're, we're kind of in the same, in the same circuit without necessarily having a defining event or a this or a that. And, and I think it's a good example because, you know, I was so happy to hear from you when you asked me to, you know, come on here and I had seen what you were doing with this. And, you know, I just think it's wonderful, but it's, it's something where I, I think it's a good lesson, particularly for younger performers and others that just because you may not, you know, be, I mean, there are other performers, there are performers I've cast 15 times in 20 years, right? And just because someone may not be that person, that can have a lot to do with luck and, you know, timing as opposed to playing favorites, right? I think that it's it's sometimes more more evolved than that. So it's about knowing which communities you wish to be a part of and how you wish to inhabit them and continuing to train and continuing to be present and to be a part of these communities and to build relationships and and not just with casting I mean you know we're we're off in the front line of defense but any one of those sessions that I have I'm getting dozens of requests from music directors and writers and choreographers and assistants and all, you know the producers the director you know all all these people are saying oh can you set up so and so can you set up so and so and it's often a way that I actually meet people for the first time is I just had it this morning with the director who forgot about a performer they love, someone I'd never heard of, didn't know, and I emailed that person, and within a matter of moments, they sent me back some video reels, which I then sent to the full team, and they're fantastic. So, you know, so so it's it's juggling that, you know, the entry 
to a relationship can often come from anywhere. I mean, in these days, I'm seeing people on TikTok and Instagram and all, you know, all these things. So, I mean, it's like it really can come from anywhere. But then how are you reinvesting in it? How are you continuing to do good work? How are you keeping in touch? How are you, you know, all of these things factor in. And and I don't think there's one answer to that either. I think it's just about doing what makes sense for you. And if that means having nothing to do with TikTok or Instagram or keep, you know, whatever that is, that's fine too. But we all need to kind of come to it from our own, our own place of truth. That's a wonderful answer. Thank you. Yeah, I think that everyone is expecting this magic rule book to roll out and everyone is different. So you have to just follow your own path. I just like being in it. I just like being a part of this community and living this life. This is my third decade now of being in show business as a professional. But yet ever since I was a kid, this was my life. So it's just, it's a lovely, it's a lovely way to live. And my last question is... What is the biggest sacrifice that you have personally made and was it worth it? Huh. <laughs> That's didn't see that one coming and uh, <laughs> happy, happy to. So you're good at this podcast thing. You know, the, um, well, you, you know, I, I do think that we all make sacrifices and I do, I do think that those of us in casting uh, in particular, maybe not in particular, but I, I think that it's, that there are definite sacrifices that we make. It's a very full-time hands-on thing from the time I started only with the pandemic, really. The pandemic was fascinating. I mean, I, I speak about it as if it's in past tense. I wish that were the case, but but I mean, the pandemic's been fascinating because on March 11th, 2020, I was sitting in Pearl Studios with, we were, we were casting uh, what was what was to be the world premiere of Mr. Holland's Opus. If you remember that movie, the wonderful movie, yes. movie with Richard Dreyfuss, um, B.D. Wong and Wayne Barker have written a wonderful movie, uh, musical, uh, musical, stage musical version of it. And um, we were casting that. It was going to be at Agunquit that summer. So I was in this room where we were seeing all of these incredible people and B.D. was directing and, you know, we had all of these amazing amazing people and you know actor instrumentalists so someone who would come in and sing beautifully and read beautifully and then they'd you know play the euphonium i mean it was just this incredible incredible day of uh of really kind of the kind of joy that you always wish an audition day to be the next day broadway shut down i canceled my callbacks for that friday and march 14th i actually went we had a production of cabaret that was running that still did their saturday night performance and then you know ceased after that and then reopened 18 months later but that's another story but so i went to see a show where nobody had the answer nobody knew what was right it was out of town so you know is was it you know who knows what the should they have closed earlier or not i mean it was that was just by the end of march 14th i probably had 20 shows running all over the world at that point and by march 15th i had zero i had nothing nothing running nothing doing and it was interesting because as stressful as it all was and as scary and unknown as so many things were it was the first time i actually was able to rest in a way that i hadn't remembered ever being able to rest and when i think through it or talk with friends or you know colleagues at any given point in my career if i'm if i'm doing well i might have 15 or 20 shows running all over the the country all over the world and any number of things can lead to me getting an emergency phone call so i'm never really off now there are some offices where they might have eight employees or 30 employees and 
there's a, a coverage system, but when you're an independent casting director, at most I've had two people on my team at the same time. I mean, it's, it's not, we, 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 we strive to be lean and I think we're able to offer our clients a, a different kind of approach. It's, it's purposeful. I, it's, it's something where I like to be very involved in everything we're doing. And so it's, so I've never really had swing coverage, you know, I've never really had something where, you know, I could, I could say I was taking a break or going on vacation or, and I, and I, and I've done that, but I'm still looking at my phone. I'm still looking at my inbox. I don't, I don't, I've never. I've never said an autoresponder. I'm jealous of those who who have, but maybe not. I mean, I enjoy the work. I enjoy, you know, I enjoy it to the point where where I don't have that. So in terms of a sacrifice, I think giving up that ability to check out is one that I made for many years, and it's one that I'm less willing to make now. I think it's something where oh, as time has progressed, I've I, I'm I'm in a place where I still enjoy being lean. I enjoy you know, being hands-on, but I also enjoy setting boundaries personally and professionally, you know, just in terms of you can run yourself ragged. I mean, in, in when I was really in my twenties and my thirties, now that I'm out of both of those decades, you know, I, there was a time where I'd be in auditions eight, 10 hours a day. Then I'd be seeing a Broadway show at night, or I'd be teaching or I'd be, do, you know, and I'd be, you know, I was flying a hundred and 20,000 miles a year. I was, I was going all over the place and I was, and, and, and I loved it, but there were sacrifices. I mean, relationship sacrifices, personal sacrifices, friendship sacrifices where, you know, during the pandemic, I started to get back in touch with some people that, you know, relationships that had been broken in a lot of ways, largely due to a lack of availability, perhaps mutually, perhaps, you know, on, on my end, you know, with friends that I should have invested more in into that. So, so again, me and my long winded answers, but I mean, there, there, I, I think the commonality is that we only have 24 hours in a day, as you said, and that you get to a certain point. For me, it was really kind of turning 40, having the pandemic, you know, all of the last few years, I got to a point where I said, I'm less willing to sacrifice. It was never happiness because I did find a great deal of happiness in the work, but the other things that can contribute to one's happy life um, that I always kind of thought would come around eventually are more of a priority for me now, even if that means not taking a job or turning something down. And I've, I've turned down more work in the last six months than probably six years prior to that. You know, I mean, it was something where we were always game to make things work, but I, I really have to think that I'm the right person for something. And I have to believe in it for me to really do it at this point. I'm no longer just interested in casting for the sake of casting. So I always like, I like giving people work, but I don't really want people to be doing jobs that I wouldn't want to do myself. So, so, you, you know, in our next therapy session, I'll give you more details, as to, you know, but I, I think that's an, hopefully a, uh, a, a little glimpse. I think we all learned some big lessons over the last two years. And what I just want to say one thing before we sign off, I've always gotten this warm, welcoming, professional feeling from you. And I just want to say on behalf of all the actors, thank you. Thank you for being kind. And thank you for just doing your work so well. It's always an honor and a pleasure to audition for you. Well, it's very nice of you to say, and I always look forward to seeing you and, and I, I look forward to seeing everyone. I mean, I really, I really do hope that we can 
start to inhabit human spaces uh, a bit more frequently, you know, in, in human form in, in the new year and beyond. But but it's it's a special privilege that we have to get to see these brilliant performances that no one else may ever get to see because, you know, to, to, to know how special the gifts and the work ethic are for so many people. And I really have, again, we keep harping on it, but but I think the pandemic has, has made me even more aware of what a privilege that is to be able to do that. So I appreciate your your, your comments. It's certainly um, it's certainly a field where I think we're all imperfect and we all have bad days and better days and everything in between. But that you know over over the the sum of the parts, it's very nice to forge these relationships and and just try to try to do good work and treat people well. So it's it's such a pleasure to connect with you and uh, chat with you here, Michelle. Thank you. I hope you have a wonderful holiday season and I hope to see you in the new year. I hope so too. We'll hopefully get some showgirl shows going on here, you know, with the, <laughs> you know, and and other things, of course. But you know, I I love I love the the showgirl angle of your podcast. So it's great. Thank you. It's just I love I love this business. I love it with all my heart. I cherish every second. So thank you. The Showgirl Tip of the Day podcast has original music composed by Joshua Holloway. Find him on YouTube, Joshua Holloway Music. This podcast is written by Michelle Bruckner and edited by Michelle Bruckner and Joshua Holloway. Find me on Instagram, Showgirl Tip of Day. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next week with a new episode. Show, show.